Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Everybody. Welcome back to season three of the Real Estate Rundown. You know, it's it's the beginning of a new year. We're looking at uh, a very familiar landscape to a lot of us and a very unfamiliar landscape to a lot of you. And, you know, nothing, nothing says welcome to the new year like experience. So I reached back in my archives here and I've got a guy that I'm bringing on the show today that's got that experience. And one of the things that I look at is he's got 30 years in, in, in real estate as a broker, as a property manager, as an author, as an educator, as a mentor. And guys, that's the kind of stuff that's forged in the halls of hell, that's forged when you can't make a deal happen and you've got to figure out another way to do it, that's forged in the not so distant past, but is our present future that everybody seems to have forgotten. And when I bring guests on like this, I really love it when you guys get to see what the experience says that's been doing it for years and years and years. Because the one thing we know about real estate guys is it's always changing and it's always just like it was last time. So with that, I want to bring on my guest, John Michalidis. John, how are you? I'm fantastic, sir. Thank you so much for having me on and giving me the opportunity to speak to your audience and if we can provide anyone listening with one nugget that saves them or helps them or enriches their lives that's what it's all about man just one person now we want everyone right but you know what i'm saying and you know john it's funny because you and i can start out the year uh start out the show and we can talk about the 30 years that you've got the 27 years i got and we could go down one of two paths Oh, yeah? Well, I've got a story for you. And it could be a good story or a time we got knots on our head, right? But the one thing that I know is that as we head into this new season that everybody's seeing, you know, it's not 3% interest rates and, 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 you know, 640 credit scores gets the deal done. We're talking about real deals getting done based on real income. DSCRs play a, a part in it. You know, you've got to have connections. There's time to do due diligence. None, none of this, you know, none of the last 30 months, right? What is it that you're looking at when you look at what's going to be in front of us for the next 18 to 24 months that you're reaching into the past and pulling out of your bag and going, this is what we did last time. So, you know, past is prologue, right? That means what, what has happened before will likely happen again. Um, and we'll, we'll get to past, but I think we need to pay attention to the present. Also, there's signals and flags and sirens and warning signs and, 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 and prophets shouting from the mountaintops about 
what may now nothing's a certainty but their probabilities what may will happen over in the next 12 18 24 months and so many people have the blinders on they're not listening um you know wall street journal a few weeks ago um top economists the experts right uh 15 to 20 percent decline in the housing market value over the next uh, 18 months first thing i see when i hear the consensus at 15 to 20 percent i say ha ha so they really think it's going to be 30 to 40 percent because they're always going to shade it to the to the more positive side i look at things like fedex parking airplanes and cutting routes i look at maersk which is the world's largest sea shipping company cutting back they call them sales like s-a-i-l-s voyages cutting back on voyages and you think about wow what does maersk do what does fedex do if the, and they're coming out with projections for a depressed uh 2023 and they're actually uh making changes to their business models based on that what do these companies do they ship the products of every other company in the world. So if they think the economy is going to tank over the next 12 months, 18 months, that means they think the global economy is going to tank over that time. So we've got all kinds of signals. We've got pundits. Don't listen to the MSNBC guys. They're not your friend. They're not trying to help you. They don't care about you, man. They're trying to please their advertisers. So I would ask you, the first thing is, is put aside the hype that you're hearing. Put aside the um, rainbows and unicorns about how soft landing and transitory and all the other nonsenses that we hear. And just start paying attention to things like interest rates, uh, uh, the inversions on the long term and the short term rates, the the calls by companies that really know what's going on in the global economy. And then say to yourself, wherever you sit, you may be a multimillionaire, you may have a thirty five thousand dollar a year job. That isn't the issue. The point is, if you're aware of what may take place, the question is, how do I position myself so that I can be hurt as little as possible and perhaps even prosper in a time when other people are going through it? You know, and, it's, and it's funny you say that because, you know, so when we look at the past, you know, the last 30 months felt a lot like 05 and 06, right? People were buying because real estate always goes up, right? People were buying because uh, that's what, you know, real estate, I'd never heard so many people thought real estate was sexy again, right? I mean, that's all I've done for 30 years, but now all of a sudden everybody wants to do it. And I knew we were in deep crap when a, a guy I hadn't seen since high, since high school that was a chiropractor was developing subdivisions. Right. And I just went, oh, we're back to that again. So but then you also see guys like Elon Musk, to, to your point, sells massive amounts of his shares in in Tesla. Look like a madman at the time. 
Tesla's now gone down 75% in the last 12 months. He now looks like a pseudo genius because he converted half of his stuff to cash back when cash was worth something. But, you know, I also saw uh, that we had a we had a, a Christmas spending that was 7% higher than last year with inflation at almost 9%. We lost ground. Right. I'm, I'm very curious about exactly. We lost ground. That's dollar value. That's not the number of things sold. That's the dollar value of things sold. And if the dollar value of things sold is rising, then clearly you're going to have higher sales this year. But do you really have higher sales this year? Another thing, I'm curious, I don't know the answer. Maybe you've heard a statistic. I wonder how much of that was paid for. And I wonder how much of that was put on the credit card. I don't know that I didn't see that number yet, but Mm -hmm. we know that household debt has been increasing over the last couple of months, right? And so all of these things paint to a picture that says, if you, like you mentioned earlier, if you have your $35,000 a year house in order, you're going to be okay. If you don't have your $3.5 million a year house in order, you're going to die right? It's going to be that same thing. So if you're putting yourself in a position where you've got cash flowing real estate, right? I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I said, are you still doing deals in 23? And he says, we're doing all the deals that still make sense. And I said, well, what's different than 22? And he said, absolutely nothing, right? Because debt is a function of what we do, right? It's, and it's also a function of purchase price. It's also a function of cap rate. All of these things blend together. And if the deal cash flows, uh, it's going to be doable. It's going to be viable. If it right? pencils, it's pencils. It doesn't matter what the numbers themselves are. If it comes out that the deal pencils, the deal pencils. Now, and, you've got to be careful not to over leverage yourself. We know this, but. And that's where we look at it and we go, you know, so so looking back in the bag of tricks that everybody seemed to kind of ignore for 30 months, right? Uh, I, I mean, I know of, of really excellent deals, guys that bought deals. Everything about the deal is perfect, except they maximized their leverage and they went with a, with a, term. a floating term, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so now... Now they're they've gone from a two and a half percent. They may I think maybe they got into the they got below two because it was a floater, right? And so now they're up at six percent. Their deal's upside down. They're they're crying the blues, right? Because tomorrow was supposed to be just like yesterday, and it is. It just didn't tell you what year. But here's the <laughs> thing, Shannon. The signs of uh, uh, you you mentioned Tesla and Elon. I saw a post, I I go on LinkedIn a lot. I saw a post, I think it was this morning, maybe it was yesterday. A guy listed a series of companies, Tesla and and just all these high flyers over the last year and how they're down 91% and 72% and this and this and this. And I made a comment. I said, you know, the problem with the people that have lost 91% in these things is greed and fear. You've got to know when to take your chips off the table. You've got to know when you've made a profit and get out of the game. I owned Tesla. I sold my Tesla when I was 100% up. Yes, it went higher after I sold it. But so what, man? I was up. 
my my investing model was met and I pulled my chips off the Tesla table. Anyone could have pulled their chips off the Tesla table, but what if I missed that next dollar rise or $5 yeah. rise? It's greed and it's fear of loss. Yeah. People well, did that they, to themselves. Right, but then you take and you apply that, that same thought process and that same mentality to real estate, right? People are looking at it going, why would you buy now? We know real estate's going to go down in the future. I know it's going to go down in the next six months. I do. I'm very confident that real estate prices will continue to, to fall. However, if the deal pencils today, if there's meat on the bone, if you can make it cash flow, if you can turn it around, if there's some value you can add and all of those things pencil in a way that makes sense for you to buy today, you're right. You, could, you could get a better deal tomorrow, maybe. You know, your price may go down, but your interest rate went up. So did you go anywhere, right? Your purchase price may go down, but now you've got three bidders at the table because at that purchase price, there's more people to deal. I mean, there's all these different factors. So just like you said, when you analyze your deal, you have to balance that greed with fear, right? You have to look at that and go, is this enough? I stepped up. I, I, I got I got a I got a double. Am I stealing third? You know, how many other analogies we can use, right? But the reality is you when you're looking at 23, 24, there's going to be a lot of deals made. There's going to be a lot of real estate sold, raw, a lot of real estate bought, right? Is it going to be at the same fervent pace where it's a million dollar non-refundable on a multifamily project uh, and a 60-day close? No questions. Absolutely not, right? But there was a lot of us that weren't doing that even when it was frothy. Right. And I mean, I got I, I got looks, John, and I'm sure you had clients that uh, that that did and didn't do that. But I got looks from people like, why aren't you doing that? And I'm like, because that's not good business. Right. Yes. I mean, yes. you still have to conduct good business. I found deals. I could have done 10 more if I would have done it that way. But that's not how I do business, because I know that today it was coming. I know that tomorrow is also coming. and And that. That is change. That is change. You, I mean, I remember, John, you've been doing this long enough. I remember what happened to the real estate market right after 9-11. It froze for like 45 days. Nobody did anything, right? Because we didn't know what to do, right? And that was a change. So when you balance that, John, you, you look back at your experience, you look at what's coming and you look at it and, 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 and you're advising your clients what in this in this space because of your experience right now and i'll give you an example of what i've personally just done i would I, i'm 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 an active investor and i'm also a passive investor right so i ha had money in a limited partnership i'm sure your your crew knows about syndications and such that's what you're involved in so i was an lp investor in a land development deal very profitable land development deal, consistent 20% returns, no questions asked, quarterly payments. It was a beautiful investment. Two, maybe three weeks ago, I cashed that in. Why? I'm, I'm reading signals saying, the. Oh, let's back up. What is a land development uh syndication do they go to the proverbial farmer who's got you know pick your number of acres and say look we want to buy your land they lock it up without closing 
Then they take it through the entitlement process. So now you've got 150 platted lots and you take that and you sell it to the developer. Then you pay off the farmer and you keep the spread. That's what we were doing. When I say we, I was passive, right? I wasn't doing it. Right. But you were sitting there eating popcorn, right? Yeah. Watching for the sidelines. But the other thing that the, the development deals do is they go long, right? They go long in the in the game because there's there's typically not a lot of cash flow during the development process. Right. There's there's the, the activity that happens. There's all this stuff that goes on. It's similar to construction and development where you, where you, you know, you, you build it. You got 18, 24, 30 months before you're going to have product online that's delivering returns. So you're going long rather than buying an existing cash flowing asset. Right. There's there's two ways to play the land deal. Right. You could be a land banker, which is a different thing. We were actively developing land to flip off to the builders. Okay. For me personally, and, and you know, this is John's mind working. You, meaning the audience, you need to decide what's right for you, what's best for you. I can't answer that, neither can exactly. Shannon, right? So I saw, agree with it or not, that's your prerogative. I saw big, big uh, housing developers, uh, cutting back on land purchases, uh, canceling contracts, um, slowing uh, pace of uh, visitors to their properties, slowing sales, having to cut prices, rebates, etc. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe brand new homes. I'm not talking about apartments now. Different deal. Oh, I I'm, I'm, I'm talking yeah. about house, new single family houses and interest rates rising and all the things we know that's happening. Yep. I'm thinking maybe, right? It's all probabilities, not certainties. Maybe in a year, the place to be isn't in brand new homes. Maybe that's not where you want to have your money. Also, what happens if the prognosticated 15 to 20% decline in housing values turns into the 30 to 40% decline in housing values, then the used home market differentiated from the new development might be an excellent place to put your money. So I personally decided to cash out of that nice, steady, safe 20% deal land bank, uh, excuse me, uh, cash, bank that cash that I took back. And I want to see what's going to happen over the next 24 months. If, if something wonderful pops up, fine, I'll deploy that capital. But what I actually did is I bought a kilo bar of gold with, right. with half of it, I'm keeping the rest in cash. Kilo bar of gold is very liquid, very safe, right? And I have access to it. I control it. I've it's got also that. a heck of a defensive weapon. <laughs> you know, let's digress. Gold, anyone that tells you gold is an investment is wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. Gold is insurance. Yep. Gold is a hedge Absolutely. against calamity. It, yep. Now, if you're, if you're speculating in gold, you're buying an ounce of gold because you think it's going to go up, it, it, then you're speculating. But the real purpose of gold is to take the portion of your net worth, you pick it, 10%, 5%, 50%, I would say 100% silly, but have a portion that's set aside 
in something you hold. Don't buy paper gold, right? right? Don't buy right. gold shares in an index, which isn't gold at all. There's no right. gold there. Call exactly. them up. Say, send me my gold. What gold? There's no gold. We're trading paper here, right? right? So right. this is a hedge against calamity. People say, oh, well, Bitcoin and all of this stuff is the new gold. And I say, well, maybe. But what I, what I know is Bitcoin's been around for whatever, 10 years, let's say. You know, people have been trading gold for thousands. They've been right. worshiping it for thousands. Right. There may well be a day when someone says, I do not want your Bitcoin. Right. Matter of fact, there may be a day when someone says, I do not want your U.S. dollar. Right. But I seriously doubt there's ever going to be a day, Shannon, when you hand, try to hand someone a bar of gold and they say, no, we don't take that here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so you know, one of the things that you, you're talking about here is, is how to look at the market and look at probability, look at what people are doing, making your own decisions and making sure that your investment strategy lines up with your investment knowledge, lines up with what you're perceiving in the market. And, and then even at that, it's an educated guess. And you've got to have a full toolkit, Shannon, because what works in today's market may not have worked in five years ago market, may not work in the 10-year market. So you've got to have a broad toolkit. So the whole point of the book um, that 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 we're speaking about here today is create a base, protect yourself, and then understand that investing isn't about putting money into your 401k and hoping something good happens over time. It's about uh, protection. So you want insurance, you want tax planning, you want asset protection planning, you want to have a hedge against calamity, some gold and silver, you want to have entity structuring, you want to organize your affairs such that if the you know what hits the fan, you've got a portion of your access outside of the splatter zone, if you know what I'm talking about. Right. And right. so so you need a base that almost has nothing to do with investing per se, but you have to have this underlying base. You have to know what your purpose is. Why am I an investor as opposed to a speculator? Let's go there. I know many people, Shannon, that don't own a single investment. They own nothing but speculations, right. but they swear they're investors. Well, I own so much Bitcoin. Tell me how Bitcoin is an investment. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm right. just saying it's a speculation. Right. It's a thing that has no use in and of itself. Well, and when you're talking about an investment, you're talking about a physical asset, right? You're talking about something that, that generates income, something that is saleable, something that is transferable. What? What else would you define as an investment uh, so that people can understand, you know, they're looking at, I mean, there's a lot of people, there's a few people listening that are going, hey, I got stocks, that's an investment. Uh, you own shares in a company, but you can't, you don't have any control. You can't make that company do anything. You can't change the course of, of Ford Motor Company because you have shares. What is it that you, John, consider to be an investment and how are you defining that? 
John's definition, not going to be the textbook definition, right? By the way, undergrad degree in economics, master of science, international real estate law degree from Northwestern. So I've got a broad understanding of the official definition. I'll give you my definition. It's an economic machine. It's an engine. I take, I take capital and I put it into the machine. The machine starts operating and it starts spitting out what we call cash flow. Mm-hmm. All the while preserving the initial capital investment. Now, with so $100,000 in, if you're smart, going with good operators, choosing wisely, paying attention to the trend lines and picking investments that you think match up with those uh, trend lines, your your investment theory, so to speak. So you want to preserve that initial capital input. You don't want it to go away. You don't want it to be diminished. And you want cash flow to come out. Now, what do you do with that cash flow? You can put it back into the same deal and then escalate, escalate, escalate. Or you can start other economic engines. I have a game that I like to play. I I talk to people because everyone wants to hit a home run and and make a million dollars. I said, what if you found some little tiny investment, an economic machine as I describe it, a little cash flow engine that takes out your car payments for the rest of your life. I don't have to worry about car payments for the rest of my life. 500 bucks a month. It's not a lot of money, but my car payments are paid. And now what if I what if I go find another little economic machine that takes out my house payment and I find another economic machine that takes out this or that? And one day you won't wake up and say, I may not be a multimillionaire or you may be. But my point is, it's not about being a millionaire. It's about lifestyle liberation. It's about freedom. And that's whatever you define it to be. If you're going to be happy. And content. I mean, truly, if you can find yourself living in a little one bedroom cottage in the woods and $50,000 a year is going to cover your full nut and you're going to be at peace and happy and at one with the world, then a $50,000 a year lifestyle liberation is very doable. Right. With, with, now, if you want a, a $500 million um, um, lifestyle, you're going to have to work harder and it's going to take longer, but the principles are exactly the same. So well, you have to define what lifestyle liberation means and then start thinking about how can I create little economic engines that spit out cash flow and preserve my initial nut. And that's where, you know, John, you, you hear people like Tony Robbins. I love the exercise that Tony Robbins does in, in his book, Money Master the Game, where he takes you through that and says, how much do you how much do you need to retire? Right. And then he starts actually walking you through it. And people say, OK, I want to do this. I want to do that. And he walks you through the exercise of not what that lump sum is, what that monthly uh, outflow is so that then he can help you understand how to create the cash flow. Right. And, and that's where a lot of people and I especially uh, go to separate. I, I separate from from Dave Ramsey and, and Susie uh, in this regard, because a paid for asset that's all mine is a battery. OK, it does not create the economic engine. It may be something that I can use to borrow from that starts my economic engine. 
But if I am the source of the payment for that, if I am the source of the payment for my car payment, then I, I am the engine and, and, and my, my assets are my batteries because I'm storing things there. When you, you take that and you say, well, if I go buy a rental property, that rental property creates cash flow and now it's paying my house payment. And everybody's like, but your house isn't paid for? No, because that's not an economic engine, right? Uh, and, and, and so then you take, I mean, that's why Robert Kiyosaki is so keen on what he says with the fact that he uh, comes at, at that and says, your house is not an asset because it's you that has to pay for it. So I love the analogy that you do there where you say, if you start that economic engine that now takes care of your car payment, it, it, I've never seen a way to lose money faster than to pay cash for a vehicle. Never seen yeah. it, right? You take it and you know that you're putting it into a depreciating asset that you get to write off, you have the ability to use for tax purposes and you paid for it instead of go create something that creates some tax relief in depreciation over here, buy something else that creates tax relief and make the payment over here with the economic engine. I'm going to use the slot out of that, John. I really am. Because you're paying for something and you've created two tax savings out of one bucket that now one is paying for the other. This one is now going out and making more money because it's your company vehicle. It's work-related. It's those kinds of things. And you're now creating additional economic engines. That's, that's, that's a fantastic analogy. And I, and I use those other authors there because I think what you've written about is very similar to what they've written about and how they put that together because it is economic liberation that, get, that frees up your lifestyle. Because the one thing that you and I can never get any more of is time, and we don't actually know how much we have. Let me push back a little bit on the comparison with the other authors, Dave Ramsey, you mentioned Susie Orman. I, I, I don't buy into their philosophy. I meant the other two. Uh, oh, I meant, oh. I meant the other two. Uh, oh. Dave, uh, 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 Tony Robbins and, and Robert. Oh, Tony, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony yeah no, Robbins. I, I, and there's a lot to that. You know, look, Dave Ramsey and, and Susie, I mean, they get you dialed in, they get you paid off. You know, you get out of debt with them. That's great. There because, you go. Because, they're about you know, saving and getting out yeah. of the hole, but they're not yeah. about, okay, I'm out of the hole now. What do I do? That, that's right. not their stick. Yeah. So, okay. You good. can't go out there and do investments that are two and 22% return with 18% credit card debt. It just no. doesn't make sense, right? No, it doesn't that's make not any the sense. 4% spread we're talking about. But yeah. And the math we're talking about here is is real simple. Uh, you know, I had a, a property a year and a half ago that I, I happened to own free and clear. And I thought, you know, this is stupid. So I went and got a 3% mortgage on that. Oh, as a matter of fact, I deployed that cash into the 20% return um, okay. land deal that I was talking right. about. So think about that. Right. I pulled out cash at 3%. And put it into something at 20%. This kind of thought process is so simple. But how many people are attached to, I got to own a free and clear. I got to own a free and clear. Well, if, if there's a particular reason why you need to own that thing free and clear, then do so. But, but the reality is you should always be strategizing, paying attention to your surroundings as they exist 
now and also as you project they might be and you should always be adjusting your portfolio nothing should be set in stone the things the tools the manner of operating that you use today may be completely different back in 0708 i wrote a book about lease option investing why because anyone in the world could go get a loan you could buy a house, sell it to somebody else, get a nice nut up front, pay off that mortgage. Point is, lease option investing is not the tool to be using today necessarily, but at one particular point in time it was. So educate yourself as to the various tools, fill your toolkit, pay attention to the market as it exists, and as you think it might exist six months, a year, 24 months out, and deploy your capital accordingly and understand that things are going to change. Don't get tied into anything. Build that solid base, your insurance, your estate planning, your asset protection planning, your tax planning, and then be very flexible with respect to how you deploy your capital and accumulate you know, assets. And, and I'll take, I'll, I'll, let's go back to that lease purchase stuff because I agree with you. And, and to, to put this into place, you know, right now we're back to assumable loans, right? Remember, remember yeah. when, uh, what was it, 03, 04, uh, assumable loans were a big deal. No, it was, it was late, uh, late 90s, right? Late 90s. Yeah, I was going to say 03, 04. I don't remember that. No, no, but everybody was doing, was, even was early assuming 90s. loans. Was assuming loans at that point because somebody had a better interest rate. It made your property more valuable. You go back and listen to the early part of season two of the real estate rundown. I talk about that. I talk about locking in interest rates in the twos and threes because it will add value to your property. We are looking at three deals right now that are based on assumable loans in the middle, right? And so we're back to that. I do agree with you that lease purchase had a point in a place in history. I think when you bottom out, uh, let's call it, you know, hypothetically 24 months from now, and you start heading back up where the market is trending upward, that's a great time for lease purchases, right? When the market is trending downward, that's a great time for assumable loans. But what you learned then, it's 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 a different quarter of, of the game, but it still will be useful again sometime in the future. It's just knowing the landscape well enough to know what to play, right? Uh, and, and knowing where you're at in in the game, because I truly do agree that we will we will find a time again in in the next four years that lease purchases will become a thing again. I think so. Uh, and, and 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 I know that right now assumable loans are are a very valuable thing. Right. And yeah. so so those are the kind of things and back to our history, you know, back to your 30 years in the business. You've seen all this done before. Right. Yeah. What we're going to see in the next 24 months, John, I would venture to say you've not. It is none of it is going to be new to you. It's just how it exactly plays out in the circumstances. You got some different players. You got some different political surroundings. You got some different things like this. But the but the game plan is going to be very similar to something we've done in the past, right? Yeah, this is how I've been thinking about that. So go back to 06, 7, 8, 9, you know, that time frame. Literally, breathing was the requirement to get a loan. Right. I mean, right. literally, yeah. anyone that wasn't there, that was it. 
Yeah. The, the, the mortgage industry was on such a tear to write loans. They would make up pay stubs. They would make up tax returns. Yeah. They would do whatever fraudulent thing needed to be done to place that loan because they were selling it off into the secondary market and they didn't care. And, or they would just create a loan product that said, Hey, we're doing a, we're doing a statement loan, right? Yeah. We're doing a, you tell us what you made and we'll verify it and we'll call it good. You know, I mean, oh, I'm going one step further and we'll write the statement for you. <laughs> you don't even yeah. need to give us a statement. Exactly. So it doesn't matter. Exactly. The, the, yeah. the, the, the I got off, I got off track. Wait a minute. So why, why were we going down this rabbit hole? Just uh, because uh, 08 and 09, you know, it, or 06 oh, oh, and 07. I got it. So the reason why the market tanked back then was because of all of these people couldn't make, couldn't make payments. There was unsustainable mortgages out there and it just all the house of cards came tumbling down. This time is different. People right. actually have to qualify for loans now. So we're not going to see that uh, catalyst for collapse if there is right. a collapse. Right. It'll be different. My thinking is, I'm thinking about employment. I'm seeing Meta, you know, Facebook and right. Amazon, 100,000 layoff here, you yeah. know, 50,000 layoff there. You know, we you have a big coming out saying he wants to cause 1.2 to 1.7 million layoffs. You've got him saying he wants to soften the economy that way, right? He so wants to push unemployment over 5%. So what happens as long as the employment picture stays strong, I don't think we'll have that collapse in the housing market. But if something changes to cause employment to spike, and now even if you've got a 3% a, a mortgage, if you don't have a job and can't pay for it, you're going to go into foreclosure. Maybe because you know, back in the day, you actually went into foreclosure. But now I've just lived through a, a Alice in Wonderland period where the government said, landlord, you cannot evict that person who is not paying the rent. Right. So what happens if employment does, unemployment does spike, people are out of work, but the government says, you cannot foreclose on people. So right. I, I don't know where this is going to play out, but I'm positioning my, the first priority is to get your own house in order right. such that you're, you've got a solid foundation. Now you have to be looking out on the horizon and seeing uh, where you might be able to take advantage. Mm. Every time I say that, it sounds like, you know, you're going to read the headline, greedy landlords, greedy investors, right. taking right. advantage of people. Right. The way I look at it is this. Some people have made terrible decisions in their financial lives, right. which is papered over during the good times. But when the bad times come, all of those poor decisions become readily apparent. Yep. There's also a small subset of people who, in spite of the euphoria and hype, continued to make prudent decisions. So now when the whole house of cards come tumbling down, 
there's a few people in a very strong position. Now we could say, oh, they're taking advantage of people. I say, no, the people who made good decisions are now in a position to help out the people who made bad decisions by taking those bad decisions off of their hands and turning them into good decisions. That's right. all that happens during a downturn is the weak operators, the unintelligent decision makers um, wind up um, being bailed out by the strong operators and the good decision makers. And it's actually a win-win. It's right. actually a win-win. During that downturn period, like I said, brokerage was my game. What do you shift into during 09, 10? You become a short sale guy. Yeah. You become a yeah. foreclosure guy. Yeah. What else were you going to do? You become then? a subject to specialist. You know, I mean, there's always, there are always sales happening. It's just how are you positioning yourself to do that? Now, John, let's, we, we've, we've danced around it. And, and in the closing minutes here, I want to get to your book. Uh, first of all, guys, if, you, if, if you've listened this far, you want to keep listening. Uh, if you'll send me an I email at connect at shannonrobnet.com, connect at shannonrobnet.com, I'm going to send you a copy of John's book, okay? So I'm going to get you connected with him. I'm going to send you a free copy. But John, tell us why the book is so relevant and so important right now. Okay, let's. I, I, I've got this blurry thing going that I can't figure out how to get the book to show up. That's but right. um, it's called Strategic Planning, Investing, and Investing for Individuals, Asset Protection, Diversification, and Passive Investing for Cash Flow and Lifestyle Liberation. I believe that this book is important because the first thing I do is I disabuse you of the false notion that the 401k lady at the HR department is your investment advisor and that that's how you invest. That is not investing. I'm not saying don't have a 401k at work, but I explained to you how that should be a portion of your portfolio. I explained to you about economic engines. I explained to you what investing really is. I explained to you about life insurance and why for $500 a month, you can, for example, you can instantly have, if you died the next day after making that first premium, your, your family would instantly have a $300,000 payday. So there's little things you can do to secure your base. And then once your base is secured, I talk about real estate. I talk about commodities. I talk about syndications. I talk about offshore investing. Now, the book is 160 pages. I cannot make you an expert in all of those things. But in the back, I have a bibliography of maybe, I haven't counted, 30, 40 books and websites and, and conferences that you should look into. So whenever I talk about tax planning, I'm not a tax planning expert who's devoted my life to it, but I talk about it, give you a basic outline, and then I say, here's the two books you should read about tax planning if you want a deep dive. So the book gives you, in my opinion, a very broad overview of all the things you need to know in order to secure your base and then intelligently scan the environment for investment opportunities. <clears throat> and I point you to things that are real true investments as opposed to the 
K-Lady at the HR You know, HR here's department. the thing too, John, that I think is really important because when you start down those roads, right, you, they're like rabbit holes. You get with a tax expert and all he knows is tax expertise. He doesn't really know how to stitch that in with life insurance. He rarely knows how to stitch that in with how to work with your 401k and how to maximize that and where to invest and how to put that, you know, he knows his world. So a book like this, and this is why, guys, I'm, I'm willing to give you a free copy. Just send me an email at connect at shannonrobnet.com, and I'll get you a free copy of John's book, because the reality is simply this. Having that overview, having that battle plan, having that clear understanding of what gets you to your goal. Everybody says, I want to retire. What does that mean? It means being able to walk away from having somebody tell you what you have to do to, to live your life, to receive the funds that you need to live your life. So the reality is, there we go, strategic planning and investing for individuals, but giving that game plan, giving that overview and saying, hey, here's how you go. Here's where the deep dives are. Here's good places to start. Those are the kind of things that John does that I do. Any of you guys that have paid attention, those are the kind of people that are constantly on this show. And I love the fact that John has created an overview that gives you a complete picture of what the landscape in front of you looks like so that then you can create that plan. We've got experts. John's got experts. We've all got people that we can plug you in with, but the understanding for yourself, because like John said, you can't go rely on the 401k lady any more than you can rely on the HR lady to get you in a promotion, right? Uh, so understanding what they do and how they work is, is immensely important. Shannon, let me let me say this. This is this is this is extremely important. Successful investors are not lone wolf investors. It's a team yeah. sport. Yeah. If you're going to be serious about protecting your base and deploying assets wisely, you need to do that with a team. You yeah. need to have your your tax planning people, state planning people, all of the CPAs, all of that. And then <clears throat> I'm a big fan of syndication. You're a syndicator. You know, right. don't look at every shiny deal that comes down the line because any deal can be made to look shiny and wonderful, right? Excel is wonderful. And you can make up anything you want for the projection because it's a pro forma. It's made up. No one knows what the future is going to be. What you need to do is find that one or two or five syndicators, not 50, that you know are ethical people. Number one, ethics. Some deals go good, some deals go bad. But you want, if a deal is going to go south, you want an ethical operator yeah. who's going to stand by it and take you through that storm. Yeah. Hey, it happens. So team sport, find guys like Shannon, hitch your wagon to that pony, so to speak, right. find a couple of other good, reliable, ethical ponies, if you will, and do deals with them. Get your get your your legal house in order, your estate plan. Your... Totally get it. And you know, John, the thing that makes that such an option for people is if you start it now, you're going to know what your plan is. So now the shiny objects aren't going to be as shiny because it's not going to fit in your plan. It's going to eliminate half of the FOMO, it's going to eliminate most of the distractions because you're going to know exactly where you're going and how you're doing it. John, I yeah. really appreciate people like you that have taken the time to do the research, to put it together, to put something together that allows people to understand things that they didn't have the time to go research. Because most of the people that are listening to this show, most of the people that are involved in syndications are people with limited time 
That's why they love the limited part of the partnership, right? So I really want to say thanks, John, for being on the show. Guys, you know where to go if you like this. Uh, go to Apple iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a like. Shoot me some comments. Watch it on YouTube. Uh, and again, send me your email at connect at shannonrobnet.com and, and write in there John's book, and I'm going to send you a free copy of that. But John, thanks again for being on the Real Estate Rundown. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. And for everyone out there, God bless. 2023, no matter what happens with the economy, can literally be your best year ever. You it will just be. got to think. Absolutely. Thanks again, John. You're welcome, sir. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnet.com. And be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode.